Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening and happy Father's Day. Tonight, I have a very special guest, a very special show, and um, I just want to thank all of the special needs dads out there and the moms that, um, you know, that love them, and to do that, there is no better guest than Gary Dietz. He has a book that you are just going to love. It is Dads of Disability, and it is a book project that addresses the relative scarcity of stories from and about the perspective of fathers whose children experience disabilities. Um, you know, so much focus is put on the mothers that, you know, I was so happy to find this because, you know, the dads really need the recognition, not just on Father's Day, but every day. And this book is a wonderful collection of writings by men, women, and children about these incredible men. And although the book is about men, it is for men and women and all caregivers, and it really fosters, um, you know, useful, it, it, it has a never-before type discussion that's going to start when people read this book. And the book contains 41 essays and poems written by all kinds of men and women. Uh, it's very powerful, very empowering, and um, they're moving, but not overly emotional. When you read it, you're really going to get a sense of, what it's like to be a man, a father of a child that has differences. And I just want to read you a quick review. The great thing about dads of disability is that most of it is from a father's perspective. Being a mother, I was able to go out there and find a plethora of books for moms with children, but there aren't too many out there for fathers. Even though this one is based on children with disabilities, it can still help fathers have an understanding of what other men feel like and are experiencing. So let me introduce Gary Dietz. He is the curator of Dads of Disabilities. Thank you for joining me, Gary. A pleasure to be here. Uh, the book is incredible. And, you know, as I said, there, there are so few books written um, for dads um, who are going through the same thing the moms are, having children with differences. So what was the genesis of this book project for you? Well, that's a really key question. This was actually an emotional release for me. About two years ago next month, my son Alexander, who at the time was 12 years old, um, was entering a residential placement, a placement where I would only see him once a week for dinner and then he would come home every other weekend. And after 12 cacophonous years of being an extremely involved father, to come back to an empty house, I, 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 I inappropriately joke now that I had three choices. The first choice was to... Uh, to drink, and I'm not a good drinker, and I figured that would be kind of messy, so I didn't do that. The, the second choice 
would probably have been to fall into a little bit of a depression. And I had actually done that when my son was first diagnosed back in 1999. So I didn't want to go through that again. So I really chose what was behind door number three, which was to do something really positive, not just for myself, but for other dads around the world. And so, you know, just like in Breaking Bad when the star finally says, I did it for myself. The truth is, I did do this book for myself, but it was really also in that process to interact with hundreds of people around the world and really to create a product that is going to help hopefully help other people. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I say that all the time. And, you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking how, you know, in my mind I always relate it to the the mothers. But it is a process. You mourn for that that child that has these differences that are going to make them struggle. You grieve for yourself. You know, you have to have that pity party. Um, Then, you, you know, you pull yourself together. And I think it's no different for men. Sure. And, you know, just to be really clear, the the book, although it has some challenging moments in it, isn't really uh, a pity party at all. In fact, it's a, no, a really beautiful blend, a really beautiful blend of, uh, I mean, the sections are about beginnings, joy, you know, we have the fear and anger that people experience, but also admiration and transformation. These are really stories, uh, amazing stories. So, for example, there's a wonderful story, um, actually, a gentleman's going to do a, a reading tonight here in, in New Hampshire, and it's about labels. And it's really a, a brilliant story from a first-time writer and a father of a child who has IDIC 15. And um, he's about, the father's about my age, the child's about 18 now. But he talks about the story of how labels and all of their senses changed him as a father. From before he was a father, you know, bandying about the word retard like anybody else may have in a pejorative way, and transforming after having a child, not just talking about those hard labels like the R word, but labels within school, labels within the hospital, labels within the community, and how, and his, his story is called Labels, about how they transformed him as a father. And I think those are really great lessons, both for younger fathers just entering this sort of phase of their life, and even for older fathers who need to reflect back on how they've changed themselves over the years. Right. I would love for you to send me a link to that. I'd love to share that with uh, the listeners. Um, you know, the book is Dads of Disability, and it's also And the Women Who Love Them. And I think that was just, you know, it, it's so poignant because it, it really, I, I mean, it's so hard for women. Um, they need that support, and men need that too. So why did you decide to include women essays um, and poems in the book for well, um, a book about men? So that's a, that's a great question, and ultimately I've been um, really reflecting on that uh, as I go out. The book has been live for about a month and talk about it. There really was a very conscious effort on my part to include women because, you know, obviously without women, children wouldn't be here. The challenge that I had was that so many men are not unappreciated by the women in their lives, but there's so many men, unlike me and unlike you know a, a minority of men uh, who can really articulate themselves and, and stand up for themselves in an emotional way, so many men don't do that. And so what I wanted to do was to create a resource where women who have husbands or fathers of their children who are very uncommunicative, the women could read the book and relate to other women in situations and other men in situations where they could begin to foster conversations that maybe their husbands wouldn't have with them. And just as importantly, the reality is is that the majority of caregivers, whether it be in a hospital setting, a therapeutic setting, or even in a school setting, the reality is that a large majority of those folks are women. And I've had countless 
challenges uh, interacting with women. I give you a specific example. It's probably happened to many men. You know, if you go to an IEP meeting and you're a man, you're absolutely looked at very differently than a mom in an IEP meeting. Now, there are unbelievably powerful and amazing business women who go into IEP meetings and you know run them la with a laser-like focus and advocate for their children in an incredibly business-like way. Don't get me wrong, but there is a difference in how men are approached in an IP meeting. Now, I've been afraid at a ton of IP meetings, and that fear may have been misinterpreted as cockiness or anger or narcissism or any other kind of negative thing by some of the women in the room. And the reality was is I was just scared out of my pants. Right. And so to have essays by women and by men that show that men have these emotions as well can maybe begin to change the kinds of dialogues that are had and all of these different settings that our, our, our families are involved in. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think that oftentimes um, when the dad shows up at the IEP meetings or emergency meetings, it's, you know, it can instantly turn into something adversarial and it's so unnecessary. But, um, you know, what I was thinking about um, when I was thinking about the book and the title um, was that through this, did you find any qualities or characteristics, um, you know, to be most commonly found in these women that really are able to support and, um, you know, communicate with the, the men of disabilities, the fathers of disability? Well, um, actually, <clears throat> I'm going to give you an answer sort of counter to what the question uh, implied, which is that I actually found an unusual variety in the way things happen. So I'll give you an example. Um, one of the stories is by a woman who has two autistic children and her ex-husband uh, has Asperger's, and she's divorced. And in, in the first part of her journey with her, her ch child's life, she thought that the father was in the way, was making things worse. And she got divorced, and she ended up getting remarried and then divorced again. And then finally she realized that she was wrong, that it was in fact the father of these children that were helping the family situation. And she wrote a story about how she bravely actually cohabitates with her ex-husband because her kids need their father. And so it just was an unusually powerful and That's a great story, amazing yeah. story about a woman making a very brave and frankly challenging decision for her children. Um, and you go all the way over to just a straight story of a different kind of admiration, a technical admiration. There's a story by a woman uh, called Dadaptation where the child has, um, the child's an adult now, but the child uh, has cerebral palsy. And it's a story where the father and the son and the mother all recount a Boy Scout trip from 20 years ago when the child, uh, child at the time, adult now, uh, went on a zip line in his wheelchair and how the father had built the oh, contraption cool. with the Boy Scouts to be able to enable that. So there's just um, there's an entire section, actually, about the admiration of moms towards their fathers. And I think and I hope that it acts as an example for moms to really appreciate the variety of skills that fathers bring to the table. I don't think it's really can be limited to sort of uh, one vein. I think it's different in every family. But the, right. the, the, the overarching goal, I think, is for people to be able to uh, verbally and e even in writing appreciate the roles of the fathers. 
Yeah, you know, and, and I think, um, you know, I would hope that, um, you know, this book would prompt that conversation with women, with their husbands, because I think that the mom sometimes gets so wrapped up in the everyday care of the kids. And, um, you know, sometimes there's some hurt and resentment that they they may have had to give up their careers. And, um, you know, I think it's important that the women realize that, you know, it's not all one-sided. The men are going through a lot, too. Um, but, you know, I just want to make sure that everyone knows that this book is not just for fathers. Um, you know, who who really do you feel, do you feel um, would benefit from this book? That's also a great question. One of the, one of the genesis, genesis, if that's a word, of the book was actually some research that I did by talking with some genetic counselors around the country. And what I found uh, during that research, and in fact it was one of the things I toyed with in the approach to, uh, of the book, but I, I chose the approach that I chose instead, was, was creating a, a book specifically for professional caregivers and being a little bit more of a textbook on how to deal with their interactions with men. Uh, I didn't take that approach because I'm not that much of an academic and that would have probably taken another 10 years to do. But the reality is, is that I'm getting a huge amount of support, reviews, and emails from social workers, from genetic counselors, from special education teachers, from speech, language, and occupational therapists, um, both reading it themselves so that they can learn and understand about this kind of family dynamic that really didn't appear in their training, mm-hmm. and also recommending True. it to their clients. So uh, in an unusual twist, <laughs> A majority, you know, the way it's being sold, I don't know exactly who's buying all of them, but the feedback, the majority of the feedback that I'm getting to date has been from um, women in these in, in these roles being thankful that they're getting these perspectives about men. Um, it's sort of an ironic twist. It seems like it's a book for men, but it's act- and, and I thought it would be, but it's turning out that it's more of a book for women. Yeah, you know, and I think that the men often get, you know, talk about labels. Um, you know, I, I mean, sometimes they, they get these labels that they bury themselves in work to, ex- you know, to escape the daily stress. And I think it's a real disservice. And um, it's nice to, um, you know, have the men be able to express their, their point of view. I mean, you know, somebody has to pay for these um, incredible services that these kids get. So, um, you know, the, the book really is just going to open up so many conversations. And, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I've been doing interviews twice a week for four years. And I was just wondering if you found in, in doing this book that I found that no matter what the disability um, no matter really what the family dynamic, that the emotions really are universal. Did you find that great, in speaking to people? Oh, absolutely great point, Mary. Uh, just spot on. So, in fact, one of the things, one of the drafts of the collection that I had completely eliminated any mention of specific diagnosis. In other words, I, love I, wanted, to get, I wanted to get diagnosis off the table and focus on what was going on. Now, I, that didn't happen. I ended up putting diagnosis back in because many of the essayists and poets thought it was particularly important to have the particular diagnosis mentioned. And so, um, because a lot of the, um, for example, a lot of the airplay and the controversy and some of the accolades have come from a few of the stories that uh, surround autism, some people have thought, well, this book is all about autism, and, and actually autism only really appears as a diagnosis in about three or four of the pieces. Um, mm-hmm. it's, a vari- it's a wide variety of diagnoses. So um, 
Absolutely. Well, I think that, that, yes. that point is also stressed because given the fact there are so many diagnoses but such a common thread that I think that would, would come through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's really, your, your point was really important, and it is true. The conversations, the emotions, the events really uh, are really part of the human condition. It's just that they haven't been written about a lot. Now, don't get me wrong. There are a ton of great books about and for dads. And in my research, you know, the, the, the one that always comes to mind is uh, Dick and Rick Hoyt's uh, books. Um, I call those sort of single diagnosis, novel-length, first-person odysseys. And those books are fantastic. I read them. I've gotten, um, uh, I've gotten a lot out of those books. But what I tried to do from a diagnosis perspective and from a variety perspective was not to focus on a single family, but to sort of take a matrix between age, gender, Absolutely. experience, and, and really paint a picture so that people can walk away thinking about, hmm, how do I fit into this matrix? Right, and you know, I've done several interviews with um, authors who are fathers um, who have written about their children and their life and their experiences, and they're wonderful. But this is just so different, because this just really... Um, it just really puts things in perspective. And, you know, before, you know, I, I had a thought because before you had mentioned, you know, controversy, um, you know, over um, some of the stories involving autism. So, you know, I'm sure you encountered a lot of controversy or at least some controversy while cr- creating this collection. Sure. It's, uh, it's the sad case um, on the Internet and the way social media works today that there's so much positive, but then it can become, you know, so negative so quickly for really unintended reasons. You know, I want to read you one of the things from uh, my introduction. And in my introduction, I say, um, actually, I wasn't planning on reading this. So there's a sentence that I say, uh, quoting myself, if there's any unintentional offense, please let it start or continue a dialogue, not end one. Oh, that, beautiful. That sentence has resonated with a lot of people. And you know, I don't want to focus on the controversy, but at the end of the day, on the Internet, too often, like, for example, Jeff Howe's essay, he's a, um, a Northeastern University professor, a Wired magazine writer. He has an autistic child. He wrote an essay for Money Magazine last year called Paying for Finn, which was about the financial impact of raising a child with autism. And it just caused a huge amount of controversy. I ended up writing on my blog a, a defense of him, and Jeff actually wrote an essay uh, in my book on a reflection of what he's learned over that year from the autistic adult community, from the therapist community, from other families, et cetera. And in fact, um, just last week, an ad- adaptation of that essay was published in the New York Times Motherload blog about the language surrounding autism. And again, it fired off another set of controversies. Right. It's the a challenge shame. that I. It's a shame. It, well, I, I think it's I think it's a good thing and it's a challenging thing, in that there are so many opinions. But what it points out to me regardless of your age group or your reading capability or your intellectual ability or your emotional ability, it just points out that everybody has something to say and everybody has something to learn from other people. And, you know, I've learned from the criticisms. Some criticisms I have to reject out of hand, but others I have to take a step back and say, hmm, you know, maybe I really should think about this person who completely disagrees with me mm-hmm. and see what they have to say. And that actually really infused itself in my book because I've taken some crap for some of the essays that are in the book. Even though I actually don't agree with the thesis of the essay, it's like I'm, I'm the curator here. I'm editing. I want to give a variety of perspectives. I'm not 
endorsing them, you know, sort of like what right. you say at the beginning of your radio show. Exactly. You know, you're not necessarily right. endorsing everything, but you want people to be able to hear a variety of perspectives. So for me, well, sometimes, I look at it sometimes as a net people positive. need to hear a variety of perspectives um, because it's very easy to get caught up in your own, um, you know, your own thought pattern. So you know, sometimes that can, that can help you and help your child in the long run. Yeah, I mean, a great example of that is people first language. You know. Uh, the title of the book, Dads of Disability, is not people first. I've gotten crap saying, oh, well, you're, putting, um, you know, the, you're, you're not putting the person first. And that's why I did the subtitle of the book is Stories for by and about fathers of children who experience disability, children who experience dif- disability is a people first phrase. But there are just as many people, uh, and I'll use the autism community specifically, uh, you know, people first language say you want to say people who experience autism or people with autism. And then you have some autistic people who say, absolutely not. I'm an autistic person. Autism comes first. That's how I'm identifying. And, you know, you can't win for losing because 50% of the people have this dramatic opinion in one direction and a dramatic opinion in the other direction. So all I can do as a writer and an editor is try and switch it up and respect everybody. But you can't make everybody happy all the time. That's the saying that I use is, you know, you can um, you can hand out free puppies and free candy to everybody, and somebody's going to say they're allergic to dogs and diabetic, and I'm insulting them. So at the end of the day, right. and, and you, you know, the, the, the thing is, it, this this isn't a book about autism. Um, this is a book about you know dads with children with disabilities, and disabilities are mm-hmm. you know especially the, the parent the dads of children whose um, fathers of children who have invisible disabilities. It is very difficult, um, you know, and those that have, you know, Down syndrome or physical cerebral palsy, whatever. I mean, this book just encompasses everything, which is beautiful. And what I was thinking about was, um, you know, what were, well, were there any themes that stood out to you? Uh, was there maybe a common thread that you saw in these men that sent in the essays? Yeah, I want to phrase this as positively as possible because even in the stories of challenge there's a positive lesson but if I'm to find any theme and and a theme in my life is really um, let me put this the right way Um, there's always something unexpected in every father that I talk to even the ones who didn't get into the book there was a stereotype I'll use another sentence that this is not my sentence somebody told me Um, the medical uh, industry in the U.S. is the last place that a Caucasian male can be discriminated against. In other words, you can go, uh, I, as a, I as a Caucasian father can go into a hospital setting with my son and I can guarantee you that in 20% of my interactions, 80% positive, 20% of the interactions they're going to say, um, you know, they're going to think I'm a caregiver, not a father. They're going to ask me what the mother thinks even though I'm there with the child and I'm the legal representative in that appointment. You know, there's always this assumption that the, fa- that the father is lesser. Now, I get it. In worldwide society, in Western society, you know, men have the power. I don't want to start that conversation. But what's interesting is that, you know, when it, when it comes to caregiving, men get the short shrift. Another great example is the best caregiver we, we ever hired for my son was a man. He was a young man, and he was literally the best one-to-one helper my son has ever had in his entire life. And my ex-wife justifiably at the time said, we're not hiring a man. Why? The stereotype is that any man who wants to be a caregiver must be a molester. And that's been proven statistically over and over to not be the case. It's been proven actually, and it's just because of 
the number of people in the industry, not because women are inherently bad, but more of the abuse comes at the hands of women. So what am I supposed to say? We can't have a women caregiver because it's statistically more likely that a woman will abuse? No, you, you do the right thing. You interview, you check background, you do all these things. So at the end of the day, one of the themes, getting back to your question, the, the theme is that the fathers have in some way, shape, or form been uh, characterized as lesser because of their gender and their desire to be a caregiver, and, and in a variety of ways, and unfairly, I think. Yeah, you know, I agree. And, you know, I know that, um, you know, I think that, that sometimes the fact that men can be very nurturing um, can be overlooked in certain settings, like you just said. Um, you know, you have, like I said, there are a lot of essays um, in this book. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, what made you choose one essay over another, and do you have a favorite in the book? <laughs> I'm putting you on the what spot. That's me, right. <laughs> what, what made me choose one essay over another? Well, um, I had an idea that, that for those sort of engineering, mathy people in the audience, you know, I had an idea that I wanted to draw this, the, the arc of this book like a sine wave, where there was a combination of emotion depth, humor, that sort of went up and down and up and down. And then I, and then I created uh, an arc, which I can describe. It's, it's the beginnings of being a father of a child with a disability, the joy one experiences, the fear and anger one experiences, admiration that we have for each other and our wives have for us, transformation and transition, which is, you know, which talks about death, predeceasing and, um, mm-hmm. you know, those things that happen. And so I tried to, once I got a skeleton of essays that I knew would be in the book, I tried to then encourage some of the other writers I was working with to fit into this framework and then, um, you know, let go and let God, and a bunch of essays came in at the last minute that just fit perfectly within this framework. And uh, there was very few uh, that I said absolutely no to, but there were others that I, you know, maybe in a future volume or a blog post or those great writers may publish those pieces elsewhere, but that's sort of how I fit it together. My favorite piece in the whole book is actually called Lila the Philosopher. It's the shortest piece in the book. It ends the book, and it's written by a three-and-a-half-year-old. Can I read it to you? Wow, it's certainly. 50, it's, 50, it's 50 words. Um, this story is called Lila the Philosopher, and Lila was almost four years old when this story happened. So Lila says to her father, do all people have all their parts? Do what people? Do all people have all their parts? And Lila's dad answers, well, most people do, but some don't. And then a discussion about birth defects and amputation, etc. ensued. Some people don't have all their parts, Lila. Then Lila answers, but they're still people, right, Daddy? And then Lila's dad says, oh, yes, Lila. And then Lila says, they're still people. That's the most important part. And that's the whole story wow. of Lila the Philosopher. I thought it was a really great and powerful way to end the book where a three-and-a-half-year-old teaches probably most of humanity a lesson that all kids know but that we forget as we get older. Absolutely. They, they, just, they don't view it from a, uh, you know, from a tainted lens. Um, you know, as many do as, as you get older and experience things. Um, you know, I wanted to talk about you. 
a little bit because this is an incredible project that you put together and obviously um you know having a son with disability and differences and all that you've gone through um has you know that changed you but something about writing this or editing this book had to have changed you as well because this is you know people evolve through this process so you know how has producing this project changed your life well, if I can just sort of shift to the philosophy of business and the philosophy of personal growth for a moment, a lot. So when I started this project, uh, I, I had an idea of, of a project a long time before I started it. And this project started really in earnest when my son transitioned into a residential placement. And at that point, after spending you know, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars over 10 years and dealing with multiple placements and psychiatric hospitalizations and um, hiring you know, dozens of in-home helpers and going through divorce, I was just ready to transition. But I didn't have much of a choice because of the special education laws. I couldn't move. I had to stay here because we had an out-of-district placement that was sponsored by our local school district, and if I'd moved, that could have endangered that. So ultimately, I did something that I've heard many mentors say over the years and I never really understood fully which was just do what you want to do and the money will follow. Well, the money hasn't followed yet, but I spent basically a year and a half um, transitioning sort of into a consulting. I'm a marketing guy by trade. I do high-tech educational technology marketing. So I transitioned out of a company, and I just put my heart and soul into this project to heal myself, to do something for my son, to leave him a legacy. And I said, to hell with the fact whether I make any money or not. And I probably won't make any money. Most people do not make money writing trade paper bags. Let me recommend no, that to any audience member. Mm-hmm. If they think right. they're going to be rich because they have a bestseller, even if my book becomes a bestseller, which is like a scratch-off lottery ticket winning, you know, I'll probably break even on both the money that I spent on producing the book as well as the opportunity cost by you know, not working at another full-time job during this period. So how it changed, it, it, it changed me by allowing me to actually for the first time in my almost 50 years to just do what I thought was the right thing as opposed to, to the thing that I needed to do to make money. Right. Well, I don't know. Does that make sense? I, yes, it does, and I think that um, you know, that, that's what this is. It's, it's definitely going to be um, a game changer for a lot of people when they read it. So uh, quickly, we have one minute left. Can you um, tell everyone where they can get the book and your website? Sure. The website is dadsofdisability.com, and there are links on the website to purchase the book. You can buy it in paperback on Amazon. You can special order it um, through its name and my author, uh, my name, the author, uh, at bookstores. It's also available on eBooks on Kindle, iBook, Nook, and Kobo. So basically, anywhere you can buy a book online, you'll be able to get it, and uh, you can special order it through local bookstores. Okay. Well, thank you. I thank you very much for joining me. I wish you a very happy Father's Day. Thank I wish so all of the wonderful dads that listen to the show and um, you know support these amazing kids. Um, I wish you the best of best for best Father's Day. Um, as I end the show each week, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent with us here at the Coffee Clatch. You can find everything about us and all of our shows at www.thecoffeeclatch.com. Next Sunday, we have another episode of the Whole Child series with Diane and Rebecca of Bright Not Broken. The Whole Child series is incredible. It is taking you into a new dimensional approach to unraveling 
unique abilities and talents of gifted ADHD and autism kids. So you can find us here again next week. Thank you again. Have a great night, everyone.